Welcome to the Death Dialogues Project Podcast. I'm your host, Becky Odd Jennison, and I can guarantee you that you will be a better human for listening to these stories. Thanks for being here. I'm really pleased to bring our next guest to you. I had a sense of deep connection with her since the moment we started interacting. Barry Liner Grant is a self-proclaimed chief grief officer and founder of the Memory Circle, which was established in 2018. Since losing her mom, Ellen Jane, in 1993, she has believed that our grief stories and loss need a better place and space in modern history, a redefinition of the vernacular around loss. Her work as a writer, stylist, and collector has made the art of visual storytelling a centerpiece of her life for decades. The Memory Circle was born from a desire to make the grief cycle a shared and more open experience, a place to tell your tale because it reinforces that your loss mattered. Barry says about herself, I have combined my work as a yoga and meditation teacher with my personal mission to heal and help the bereaved at any stage of their journey. Our workshops and gatherings are bathed in ways to release what we're holding, while we're always keeping the spirit and celebration of those lost and loved alive. I send Barry a huge thank you for taking time out of her schedule to have this conversation with us today. And I thank you very much for listening. Hello, Barry. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm just thrilled for this conversation. So I'm not sure how much you've looked into our stories before, but what I'd love for you to do, if you don't mind, is just take off and share with us your story of loss and how life has unfolded for you since then and what you're up to. Sure. I'm honored to share my mom with you. Beautiful. In 1993, I lost my mom, Ellen. She went to the beach and had an aneurysm. And the most interesting part of the story is that she was, well, she was 50. That wasn't the most interesting piece, but she was a realtor and she was so hardworking and she had spent most of the summer, that summer, um, putting everybody sort of tucking us all in. I had started a public relations firm in Manhattan and she was so proud and came into the city and spent the evening and we went for pasta. And I recall her saying to me, this is the best pasta I've had in my whole life. And then we had frozen yogurt when it was sort of like before it's time when there were all these toppings and we brought them back to my apartment and kind of had a girl's night with, you know, all the sprinkles and the whatever. And she had tucked my sister into an apartment in Denver right out of school. So she helped my sister move into her first apartment. And she uh, got my stepfather tickets to the U.S. Open golf tournament. She had scalped them and she was kind of giddy about it she thought that was really cool and kind of funny (laughs) and it was so hot 
um, that summer also in and out of showing houses. She was such a super realtor. She started that job when we were little and she was going through her divorce. So we always say she invented job share because she and her best friend both took their real estate license together. And then one would watch us all while the other went to the listings. And eventually they, you know, the kids grew up and everybody sort of just went on. And my mom became this Uber realtor in our community. Uh, word of mouth uh, was like, you know, wildfire. She was so great. And she loved putting people in just the right home. And they would call her again and again when they were moving and returning. And she was just so incredible at being with people. And that day she called us all, everybody sort of in their place and said, it's so hot. I'm taking the F-bomb day off. And she really was so funny. <laughs> she was such a lady, but she had such a funny sailor mouth. And I always say how funny it is that I, I love a good bad word. So I got it from my mom. That <laughs> <laughs> so was so interesting that day. She took the day off and packed a beach bag and went to, I grew up near the Jersey shore and so did she. And she went to Sandy Hook, this beautiful beach at the end of um, a long strip along the area where I grew up, kind of near Seabright and Asbury Park. And it's a national park. So it's, uh, it's just beautiful beach. And the sun sat and a woman realized that my mom and this other couple were the last on the beach. And when they went to wake her, realized that she, the woman was a nurse, which was really unreal. But she knew that something terribly wrong had happened to my mom. It appeared that she had just fallen asleep in her beach chair, but this, this woman called 911. So as it happened, by the time my mom got to the hospital, she was brain dead. And for anyone in our family, that meant that she was gone. And my stepfather returned from the U.S. Open to a knock on the door from the police to tell him what had happened. And he was township attorney, so he knew a lot of the guys, and the guys that came to the door knew him. And slowly but surely, he called us. He had left a message on my answering machine, which I guess had the volume down or something. So I really didn't find out until the next morning. He said there had been an accident at the beach. And somewhere in my bones, I just knew, as many people do, that, you know, I was like, well, she's an avid swimmer and diver. Like, I couldn't imagine what the accident could have could have been that he wasn't sharing, but I needed to come home and that my mom was in the hospital. And somehow in the car ride on the way from New York to New Jersey, I knew in my bones that she was gone. And the crazy thing about the day was that she had packed her beach bag with, we found a receipt in her bag, two pounds, maybe three of Santa Rosa plums. And they come but once a summer which is so much fun. They're the ones that are like really dark on the inside, super really mm. dark and a receipt in the bag, but at no plums. 
and then a trashy novel, which was like her version of a magazine because she was such an avid reader. She was so speedy at reading books and had such a beautiful vocabulary. She was like super at Scrabble and all those kind of word games. And she would buy those kind of books just because anything else she would go to quickly through. But that was kind of like her junky, you know, trashy novel that was at the bottom of the bag. And if she had written an ending, that would have been it just falling asleep at the beach mm. because it was her favorite place on earth with, you know, her favorite plums and her feet in the sand. And like, there's just something so poetic and beautiful. It's beautifully tragic really. But honestly, if she wrote it, that might've been it. And I guess where the story really turns is that my sister and I sort of walked around and wonder how a woman who, gave so much to the community. She started a charity for a homeless shelter. She did charity fundraisers for this amazing uh, theater called the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey. She, like I said, tucked so many people into their homes and gr we grew up with the kids of those people in our school. And she was beloved by everybody from the dry cleaner that she recommended to everybody who bought a house to, you know, the, the people that did all kinds of housework, like her little list was your list as soon as you knew her. And she, anything that happened around our kitchen table also was sort of like, I don't know, people call like she was the cool mom before it was like cool moms were the cool moms before Instagram. <laughs> she sitting around our kitchen table was sort of like an invitation to, kind of a thoroughly modern Millie, you know, giving <laughs> women the inspiration to be, you know, these young women that I grew up with to be anything they wanted to be. Um, she was probably one of the first and only of the moms I knew that had been through a divorce. And she was really open about um, all of it from therapy to being empowered to have your own checking account always, even when you're married. Um, just all of these things that I think were a treat. And then even this table full of like besties that my sister had were mostly comprised of boys that still talk about her and all the people in our carpools. I don't know. There was just such a fondness for her while in life as, as well as when she passed. But um, about a year later, my stepfather came into Manhattan and took my sister and I to lunch and told us both that he was unsure whether or not he was going to share, but that because my mom had wanted her organs donated, they had to, of course, um, we said we agreed because he waited for us to agree to whether or not we thought that that was a good idea and told us that those were her wishes. And we said everything, but her eyes, somehow her eyes sort of defined. <coughs> I don't know why we thought that, but we just thought mm. that was, that was something she might need <laughs> that would make her, her anyway. He told us that they found early stage liver cancer. Wow. So she wouldn't have known she had it unless they were actually in the organs. And of course they needed to be donated to science because they couldn't be passed on to anybody because they in fact were cancerous. Um, but while we were searching for a why, 
I, I can't believe that that was the part of her story that we may not have ever known had he not. I'm not quite sure. I never really asked him why he, I don't know whether he thought it would make us more sad or it would, to me, it made more sense of the whole thing. So I think that there's something in that about honesty in truthfulness and the sharing of wishes and, you know, just being very transparent around loss comes stems from that to me. Um, but that was sort of our, our story uh, of knowing that, that there actually was something that saved her from a very different kind of death. And then I always think of that amazing way that she really went is sort of a peaceful, beautiful, way too short a life, but at the same time, such a fullness of a life. And when we went to share after the funeral, when we went to share with friends and family that came over, there was a knock at the door that will always sit with me. A woman came all the way from Brooklyn to New Jersey with this box of cookies and we opened the door and she had this bakery box and she said, you don't know me, but I, I, I can't even recall her name, but she said, your mom sold me a house when I was going through a divorce, but it was so much more than that. She gave me the courage to date again, and she showed me how to wear red lipstick in the rearview mirror of her car. Oh, my goodness. And there were like story after story of that where you sort of wondered to yourself, how on earth could she be so part of the minutiae of our everyday lives? And also be so much to others. And then fast forward to not realizing that the whole world didn't have mothers like we did. We, we really took that for, not for granted, but we loved in such a way that we just thought that's how it, it, it was for, for everybody. Um, but in my, in all of this storytelling that followed I just feel like she squeezed it all in like I always wonder whether there's a knowing that you that it's going to be short and that you squeeze it all in almost like the last you know she was always like last at the beach and that we were the last on the rides at night and you could go out to dinner on a school night and you could uh, take the day off and go to theater in Manhattan like there was just like a way that she explored the world that was so cool and full of sort of a you know it's like being on the rides it's the only way that I can explain it like she just that's how she lived it was such a doing and I'm I'm like a crazy keeper of memories and she was like a fierce cleaner of closets and all of that you know she she didn't have a lot of that around but she was a doer there was like last at the mall and last at the beach and last, you know, sun, sun was going down and uh, always just scooping it all up. And I would also see like, I'd be on my way to work and I would see her car, the Carvel, which is this great ice cream place that I grew up going to in New Jersey. And, you know, I would know she was there getting a, a cone with sprinkles. Like maybe that was lunch. I mean, she just, it was just a fun catch. She'd catch a movie in the, 
in the day. And I do that as well. It's kind of like a little treat. And I just, in retrospect, love the way she lived so big. And she was five, two. Oh. <laughs> and she just had such an enormous way of teaching us how to be moms as well. And so in her absence, I feel like that was the gift. My sister and I both became the kind of moms that we know so deeply she would be so proud of. And we call her Grandma Ellen, which I think is funny because she never became a grandma. And all of our children feel as if they know her. And that's through the stories that we share, you know, from her singing us camp songs when we were little girls. We went to the same camp as she went to. It, it's it's hard to relay the larger than life connection that we had. I remember recalling the story to a therapist once that was almost as if she wasn't real. And I turned around and the therapist had a tear streaming down her face. And I, I sort of felt like I was going to have to put her back together because <laughs> she was, she was so moved by the story, but it was almost like a, something that wasn't real because mm. she was that magical. She also wrote us like crazy, um, funny notes with bad words about cleaning our F-bomb rooms and, you know, uh, fold the wash and put this on the, you know, she was a, a single mom for many years and worked real hard. And we had things to do after school for her so that, you know, she could get it all done. But she, she just lived in such an enormous way in such a short time. I mean, 50, I used to think, you know, I, I got to that age, you know, a lot of people talk about getting to the age that when your parent passed, when you turn that age. And I just remember it was, it was more my 49th year where I was like, well, what if this was the last year of your life? Mm. You know, what, what if this is all you had? And I feel like there's a certain part of me that's lived that way since she did pass away, but I felt really strongly in that last year that I what if this was it? So I, I think, you know, she lost her mom when my grandma was in her sixties, she had emphysema. And so we, we saw my mom go through grief. We always saw that she showed us how to write the note that was just right and how to show up for people when they were hurting and I have tried to do the same. I feel like that's another gift that she gave us that we knew. We didn't know how to be without her, but we knew how to be in the world. Because um, of her. Because of her. Yeah. But I have just in recent years, for so many years, I ran into the girl in the room who had lost her mom or the girl who was at the checkout in the market somehow, you know, the story would always circle around to some connection of, of mother loss. And I didn't know anybody else that had lost their mom um, at the time that I did. One woman in high school who I always feel like I owe an apology to because I, I, I didn't understand it at all at the time. 
you know, her mom was very sick and I just didn't understand that loss at all at the time for such a young woman. Um, but I think I began to see this pattern of running into people and having the opportunity to connect and to talk. And it was almost as if I was ignoring some message from the universe that I really needed to step into the space. I just felt like my vulnerability in all those instances and connections were always a way of making me feel better. But I realized that it could also make others feel better about their loss. And when I sort of flipped the switch on that and stepped into seeing that I could help others in any vulnerability, I went through a divorce. I had several miscarriages. Like, I feel like whenever we step into that space, we realize that our story can help others. I know that's what you're all about. So I know that you understand that, but I started a, I did my yoga teacher training. I feel like I've been a million jobs, but I did my yoga teacher training <laughs> after just being uh, wanting to deepen my practice. And one of the things that I really admired through the meditation practice was um, setting an intention. And one part of intention setting is called a sankalpa and different than kind of making a an intention that's like something you would do at New Year's, you, you really with a Sankalpa have a beginning and an end. It sort of has like a time frame. And I went to it in this Sankalpa setting workshop at the new year during right after my teacher training. And I was pissed because I left after doing the training and I, nothing really came forward. And in the drive and the way home, I thought, ah, I will start a Mother's Day class for women who have lost their mom. Because that was such a day that came with such a heavy heart, even even though I had children and sisters at that, you know, I got this wonderful mother-daughter connection and then sisters as well, um, which was such a gift. And my own sister that she gave me and the relationship that we had. I mean, no, I believe no two sisters are as close as my sister Dana and I because we also share the bond of having, having her. Um, but I started these classes for women who had lost their moms. And when I realized how much it was needed, a few years later, I started the memory circle. And all I wanted to do in the same way as these classes for women who had lost their mothers was just open the circle a little more and I was to be a guest on someone's podcast. And at the bottom of this intake form, it said something like, tell us something, if there's anything else you'd like to talk about. And literally out of my pen, I had never even thought of the name. Out of my pen, it sort of just came to me, the memory circle. And real quick, I had my daughters like, check and see if TheMemoryCircle.com is available and quick go on Instagram and see if the memory circle is available. It sort of just happened. And when I started to write and talk about it, it just was a place to sit shoulder to shoulder with others who had experienced grief. It was just to make a space. 
and it's grown to be so much more and such a salve to so many and such a gift to be able to hold space for others all these years later. Um, I also invited in co co-hosts, if you will. Um, so learning that we experience grief in different ways and process grief in different ways, I thought we can have a medium, we can have a yoga class, we can have uh, writing um, exercises, we can, ho however you process, metabolize, um, understand, meditate, what, whatever it is, whatever way you move through grief, um, that's sort of what I offered. And what I think has been so amazing is that, of course, now that we have explored Zoom in this time um, and online offerings, the community has grown so that it can reach even further than I ever imagined, um, which has been incredible to me that people can come from everywhere. But a couple people have come talk about telling stories. So just by sharing on Instagram, a few people have come to join the memory circle by plane in Chicago, which has been unbelievable. A woman wrote recently about losing her son and she came to circle and we had a medium and she got this beautiful message from her son that his overdose had been accidental. And she really needed to know that. And she wrote afterward that she was suicidal before she got on that plane and came to the circle. And she got that message and wrote us after that she, she just felt so called to come and then went home with such peace. Um, and she's joined us now on several Zoom calls since, but I don't. Can know, I for, interrupt you for course, one second? Of course. For just a little please. clarity. Yeah. Because we have so many online things going on right now. And when you say a person flew in, bring us into the room of the yoga or of the um, sure, sure. memory circle I, situation. I, sure. Sure. When we, when I started the first, the first event, I popped up in a, um, yoga studio that a friend had offered, you know, please have it here. You know, as soon as a memory circle was a thing, so many people came forward, I can't even tell you, and said, you know, please feel free to have your event here. So at the very first event at this yoga studio, um, people just signed on to come, but it was Chicago-based. I'm Chicago-based at the moment, and um, all of the events were local. So if you didn't live locally, it was very hard to attend. And as much as I feel like the different kinds of events we have, I also felt like the different locations were important that we didn't just show up in the same space every time so that it didn't feel like some kind of, I don't know, that there was a freshness of this, of the space. And then sometimes we've returned and there's something beautiful about that too. I just feel like everybody processes differently and that space and connection and the idea that every circle comes together for a reason 
is something that I truly believe. Um, so when we came to the circle where this woman attended, she lived out of state. And so she took it upon herself to fly in. We don't always know those stories until we're actually in circle or somebody will come to me and tell me that they're, they've flown in another story. Similarly, I said to someone just in passing, like, oh, how did you find us? Because sometimes I know the faces, sometimes I don't know the faces. Um, and it happened again that a producer from Good Morning America, she worked there for 15 years, lost her mom, heard a story that I told and connected and felt like she needed to be there too. And so I always say, even if one person comes, that's how I started. I was like, if, mm. one, if just one person comes, that's all I need. And it's been the one person and the one person and the one person and the one person. That's just been so incredible to me. And and the sharing of stories. There was a, sometimes people read their work that they write, they'll share with the group and it will open up beautiful discussion or someone will share you know, I'll say something about my mom having had an aneurysm like I did to you and you shared your story. Um, that the same thing will happen in circle. So someone was sharing um, a beautiful story about having had her son's bar mitzvah in Israel and she had lost both of her parents and she was looking for a way to include her parents in the ceremony and she was looking and looking for her father's, this velvet bag that had his prayer shawl in it that she wanted her son to use for his ceremony. And no one could find it. And of course, there was no one to ask because the both of the parents had passed. And so they were in Israel and she was, I have goosebumps telling you this. My friend Cindy says, goosebumps are the truth. So yes. she's, she's going through the revolving door at the hotel in Israel and she looks down at her feet and there's a U.S. dime. And ever since her dad has passed, she's seen dimes wherever she goes. Aww. So there she is in the middle of Israel. And so we were talking about intuition and how to tap intuition. And we were talking about all these stories and someone talked about heads up pennies. And then she shared her story about dimes. And that always opens a conversation that, you know, people talk about all the signs they see. I've seen ladybugs since my mom passed away do you have a do you have a do you have signs oh yes yeah yeah I have like headbutts kind of things <laughs> and, and then and then yeah I've with my brother uh it seems to be feathers and birds yeah isn't that incredible I mean yeah yeah my sister and I took this swings back to Carvel all, all paths lead to Carvel but my sister and I were in New Jersey and we had all the kids in the car and we hadn't been back in years and it was the middle of winter, but there we were on Highway 35 where we grew up. And we were like, should we? And we pull into Carvel with all the kids in the car and everybody has a cone. It's like, you know, zero degrees. And we're all sitting with ice cream cones in the car, vanilla with sprinkles, just like Grandma Ellen. And this ladybug out of nowhere is like in the car, in my sister's car. And like, do we open the window? Do we let her out? Do we keep her in? Like we, we couldn't decide what to do not even thinking for a second it had any connection to do with my mom. We just thought it was like the craziest thing that there was this ladybug in winter. 
And then the ladybug kept showing up in everybody's lives from that day forward. And she rode along with us on that car down Highway 35, like held on and held on and held on and was really part of that, (laughs) you know, Carvel experience for as long as she could hang in there. It was so crazy. Um, But I see numbers. That is so cool. It was cute. It was really cute. Oh my goodness. It really was cute. And and such a part of all of our youth, it was like we were sharing with our kids the tradition of this, you know, the Carvel tradition. And, and there she was, like, not going to miss anything. My aunt, <laughs> her sister um, will, like, call us from a hotel room that she's in on the road doing taxes for, like, some theater group on the road. And she'll see one in her hotel room. Hello, Ellen. Like, we all send each other pictures oh. now of our um our sightings my dad gets them um we went on a ski trip again like this frigid cold and we're taking all the ski clothes out of the car and brought this bag inside and as we're unpacking there was ladybug like not missing the ski trip at all like oh my gosh it was something i mean that is mind-blowing it is it is and she did not like the cold she she loved the um the sitting in the you know get the hot chocolate collector and like sitting with real cute outfits she always had the best ski clothes (laughs) she um yeah it was just it's just the funniest thing that the ladybug has been our it is a cute little thing it's been our our thing ever since um numbers on the clock I often see four 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 on the clock I know a lot of people see repetitive numbers. When we first mm-hmm. moved to Chicago from New York, I thought she'd be so sad that I was kind of moving away from the East. And um, the building that where the offices were, where um, my husband was working, were 444. And that number has just stayed with me ever since. Then we moved away and then we moved back here and the offices ended up new company same building again 444 north michigan and and it just it comes up all the time i can be behind a car and their license plate is 444 i see it on the clock all the time i can get a number at a bakery or a you know standing online somewhere it's just been recurring and i think if you want those kind of signs i think i think they'll show up Oh, I think they're everywhere, whether people see them or not. I've just, I am my, on my notes on my phone. I began because I, like I said, I was just being headbutted, like, okay, how can you doubt this? Here's something else, you know, here's something else. And I have just kept this list that is yay long now of, and I don't write everything down, but I'm, I've become convinced through this experience of being really observant to it and accepting and talking to other people that we just generally pass it off as coincidence or, oh, well, yes. that was a little weird, you yes. know, rather than like, oh, maybe that is a bit of the the connection between the portals or, you know, whatever well, that no, big I'm totally mystery there. is. I'm, I'm, to- I'm uh, you know, I'm totally there. So many weird things have happened like that, that I, I just don't think there really are any accidents. Mm. I, I really don't. I mean, no, I don't either. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. Um, so, and I encourage people to ask for the signs, you know, to be open mm. to it. I feel like 
now I'm almost on, you know, a different like heightened alert, like scheduling things on certain days. And I don't know, I dig it. I'm into numbers and cards and astrology and moons. And now I feel like I've, I've stepped all the way in. And at first, when I started the memory circle, one of the things that I found so interesting is that I went and saw a medium and my mom was really into, she had a friend that she used to call the witch. I mean, she, she was into it. So I don't know what, why I never went or connected, but only in the last couple of years had I ever explored going to a medium. And the medium said was like, my mom would just not stop about how excited she was about the memory circle. And I really felt like her being proud of me was so wrapped up in my other work as a writer and um, and public relations, have it being in the industry and a background in fashion. Like, I it just felt like that, maybe it's because it's how she knew me when she was alive, but I just never thought that sort of stepping into defining myself in a way by losing her would be something that she'd be on board with. And, and the medium was like, you have no idea. She thinks you've been, this has been what your whole life has been leading to. Like, it was like this most exciting thing ever. And what, I mean, the, the advice was coming and coming and coming and coming. And then at the very end, we were like closing out and she's like, oh, wait, wait, one more thing. And don't make it sad. Beautiful. And I Can I just that. share with you that as you describe that whole experience of, and I don't know, the word just came, the memory circle. I, I'm having this vision of your mother, which I do with my brother with this project as well. I just have this vision of your mother up there with like the marionette strings. Yes. Like, okay, hun- okay yeah. honey, now this is it. Because as you're describing it, it just sounded like that type of a process. Like, I don't know where it, these words came from. It just came. I mean, I mean, also that it was available was mm. incredible to me because it, I don't know, it, it seems like it would be taken. I don't know. It just seems like it would be taken. I also yeah. um, am in the process of trademarking um, chief grief officer because, which I also can't believe is, is, has had not been taken, but you know, I really, um, and I have, I have no formal degree. I tell people I am not a doctor. I'm, I'm a friend who's experienced something that I'm willing to share with you and just hold space for you to tell your story. And we can just explore, like I said, shoulder to shoulder, we could just open our hearts and, discover together how we can move this through our bodies any way we can get a little bit unsticky and just make it less like as my mom said don't make it sad like some days it will be it doesn't always have to be but we just need to bring it out of the shadows like I feel like it just needs to be part of the conversation the day-to-day conversation it doesn't have to be um, save for, you know, your home or behind a closed door. I, I, I love that people are coming. I mean, the first event we had during COVID that was hosted by um, a space here that was about to open and never opened. It's called altar. Um, 77 people 
who all felt the need to gather. You know, I think also that we're that we're all in a moment of experiencing this tremendous loss of of lots of things where people are experiencing grief or grief that's reignited um, or grief that's never been resolved, you know, that just feels like it's swirling around us right now in a way that we need to put it somewhere, like lay it down. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I'm seeing people that are either an absolute panic and it's too much or that are like opening up to it and it's deep transformation time. Yeah. And, and, and I'm kind of glad that the, if there's just an awareness because so many people are now talking about loss, sadly the loss of so many lives because of this horrible pandemic is so out in the open that it's really brought forward all the people that have talked in this space many you know behind closed doors it's it's just opening doors and it's opening Mm. conversations and opening hearts and making us more aware um and i think finding compassion around loss and grief um and and just learning to put words to it. I mean, I've just been reading story after story after story of, you know, people who have been by bedsides that are nurses. And I mean, I, I, I just, a sense of compassion for all, all of the loss that people are going through now just seems on some kind of like a heightened awareness. Um, it's almost a gift in the, in the sadness that people are, understanding what loss is what it looks like for others right the, the, it's you can't ignore it it's right, such right. universality right now I do want to circle back though because I kind of butted in and I go back to your mother saying don't make it sad and your conversation about connection opening up to connecting into the beyond through the medium and then your own you know, noticing what's around you. And I don't, you think those two go hand in hand. I, I really feel that, you know, some people could hear, don't make it sad and be like, what are you talking about? I miss my mom so much. Or, you know, I miss my, my my brother so much, but the, but the light really is, it comes on big time. The big lights come on when you do feel that sense of connection. Don't, don't you think? Yeah. I, I, I don't know that I had, I made, I made connections out of things that I did to honor her. You know, Mm. I did things, I did things on her birthday that felt like I had a sense of connection to her. She, she never felt as if people were, um, uh, at the cemetery. That was like a thing that even when I lost my grandmother, that she used to say, there's nobody there. Mm, so that mm-hmm. for her wasn't her thing. So we knew that about her. And though, even though we planted a plum tree at her, at the cemetery and Santa Rosa plum tree, um, every time we were even show up there, a train would come by and it was so loud. We couldn't hear each other. And we always used to giggle that it was my mom, like, get out of here. Nobody's here. There's, I'm not here, you know? So we just decided that we 
we discount shop on her birthday. You know, we trade stories of like, she was such a stellar discount shopper and we um, will exchange stories about buying something on sale on her birthday. We will uh, make our kids charm bracelets. I have just, just the way that I've instilled memory making into our lives has been such a big part of what I do, whether it's putting something in a frame, like something that my kids wrote or um, just making memories. It's, it's really been, you know, even the way I decorate a room, like everything has a story. Um, I'm a photo stylist. I told you I've been a million billion things, <laughs> things I've been for many, many years as a photo stylist. And I think that my love of home always came from, peeking into the lives of others when she used to take me on, you know, real estate calls and she'd out of open houses and I was allowed to set up the lemonade and the cookies. And I just got to see inside the lives of others and like the stories that, that were told by the homes. And that always seemed to me to be such a interesting idea. And so as a photo stylist, that's what I always try to do. And everywhere that we've lived and left as well, I think tells the story of us um like if you came into my house you would know I lived here even without looking at photos of family or whatever like you'd be like oh this is so Barry like it there, <laughs> there is like a feeling about that um and but she was so different in that way so I think she left lessons we couldn't find her um jewelry she had this like little jewelry roll and it was like a little yellow with white polka dots like a little plastic jewelry roll and she used to hide it because once a long long time ago unfortunately that we, we were robbed and she lost a lot of my grandma's jewelry um and it was not like it was like you know the Klopman diamond or anything it was just like meant something to her so she would hide this jewelry roll we came home from her funeral everyone's like it's gone nobody could find it and the jewelry roll eventually days later we went to pull a photo album off the shelves that was filled with these trips that she took with my stepfather and there behind the photo albums was jewelry roll like look look at my big life that I had and look at all the places I've gone and look at all the you know me in front of cute locations in front of fireplaces all over the world and you know in Italy and skiing like all these magical trips and like look and behind that was was the jewelry roll it's mm. crazy but I kept the sand from her beach bag that day I don't know where I had the wherewithal to take that my sister told me recently like in the last few weeks that she actually has the scrunchie from, from my mom's bag from that day. Like, I don't know how we even had the wherewithal to know to save mm -hmm. something, but we did. And now I want to make something of it, like a little charm with the sand encapsulated or something. Like I'm always thinking of how to make a memory. Mm. I, um, I'm just going to tell the listeners now that when I went down, um, 
the dip, big deep hole of looking into your information. There were so many things I connected on. And one of them was your post about the jewelry and the talismans mm-hmm. and um, everything you're saying right now. I'm just like sitting here nodding. I'm, I totally relate to that saving the little bits and pieces and feeling, I don't know, just feeling connection, feeling pieces of them and and whatever the wearing that means. as well. Yeah. And whatever yeah. that means to you, you know, we, at one point we made pillows of a old fur coat that she had and everybody, everybody got a little piece, you know, of that. Like, mm-hmm. We didn't have any intention of, of wearing it, but we felt like we could make some re- make something beautiful of it. We made little hearts for the girls. Um, and I have some long oblong pillows in the house. And I, there's just something about like passing by those. Like it's a little, it's a little piece of, you know, mom went to theater in that coat or mom went to, you know, somewhere special. And it was a gift from, grandma to my mom, like just the, the history and memories that are tucked in. And it's a complete knee jerk reaction to my loss of her because she was not that way. So I didn't grow up with that at all. I Mm -hmm. am all about it for my girls and the way that we live. Um, but not at all the way that I, grew up she was such a doer and thank goodness right I mean that was that was like the beauty of of her time here I mean I'm I'm equally a doer but I'm like I hold on so close like I feel like I need a little my poor kids like the things I'm so into flea markets and like the things that I've collected over time and the things I've collected for them like it's my poor girls like when I always think about when somebody has to go through my stuff (laughs) (laughs) my mom was like it was like a tidy neat neat pile and mine is like a lifetime of collecting and memory making and treasures yeah treasures (laughs) but but I love that I love the history of all of that I love putting engraving a date on things I love a little snippet of somebody's handwriting in a frame um and people ask me a lot, what do you, what, what do you do to remember? And a lot of those things are things that I can see around me in my day-to-day life or where, you know, I even put like little, I have like a purse. I always joke, like, I'm like, come on, we're going to the theater. Like if I'm going to play, like I have one of her old purses and we, I bring that along with me. Or if I have an important interview, I'll sometimes wear something of hers, like a little, piece of jewelry there's barely anything but um because she really wasn't a keeper saver but just little the little snippets that we do have um are have become important I I I got a tattoo of her name on my wrist which you would probably be horrified by but I had wanted a tattoo my whole life and I just think that's funny so I have Ellen on my wrist and I did it the morning of my 50th birthday um, to sort of celebrate that, that year, that that's what all she mm. had. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And a yoga hey, class. I, I did a yoga oh, class on my 50th as well. And it was really the first time that I had ever written about her, but at 50, 
the day that I turned 50, I shared the story of my mom. And it was really the first time that I wrote about her in that way, which I find so interesting as a writer. I just never wrote through grief. And now I find it hugely cathartic and such an important part of the memory circle. And I love the idea that you can like date pages that you write and look back at your very own stories. Cause we all have, we all have them and they change, you know, they ebb and flow. You know, the story that I would have told all the years ago is so different than the story I feel today. Mm. And your writing is beautiful. It's um, on your blog. And I, I am so deeply thankful for you coming today. I, I wonder as we wrap up, um, I'm, I'm almost thinking maybe we need to have another conversation as well, because now you're on the journey um, with your father with dementia, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And that's been really interesting in a completely opposite direction. I've started to write about him more and more while he's alive. As his memory goes, I've been not only writing stories about him, but I've been telling him stories about himself. Oh, beautiful. And, you know, we're all learning how to live through that. And my husband, Alex, said a really beautiful thing that I think is worth sharing. Um, He said, we can be sad for what's not there, or we can love what is there. And it's Mm. changed the way that I looked at the time that we have together. You know, I sort of soak up the things that he does recall, but the things that he doesn't, I love filling him in on. Um, He sort of adopted a little boy after he had lost his dad in 9-11, a friend's son. She had to be at like two soccer games at the same time, one for a daughter, one for a son. My dad's like, oh, I'll take him, whatever. And just this year on 9-11, he used to go down to this bench in town that we dedicated to the dad and he forgot. He completely forgot. And so I told him the story of like taking this young man to his soccer game and um, putting flowers on the bench every 9-11 and writing a little note and saying his own little prayer. And he would always send me a picture of the flowers on the bench. And I realized that was the first 9-11 that he had no recollection of having done that. And when I told him, he said, that's really beautiful. It sure sounds like something I would do. And I just thought that was so beautiful. So, uh, you know, you, you always were sharing about the importance of story. I think it's just another way of sharing story, right? Just sharing it with, with him. And, and I've been writing a lot more about him. Mm. Well, I, we, we need to, wrap down now wrap up and I could talk to you all day I'm just visualizing circle after circle after memory circle within this conversation like I could do a board on it right now and um and it's just beautiful how then the stories overlap the circles overlap and and then my circle looking at it and your circle overlapping so if we, you know, and the beauty, if we colored in those bits, uh, 
you know, my father dying of a brain aneurysm and your mother dying of a brain aneurysm and um, so many different areas. But what I want is for people to be able to access you and your beautiful work. Can you tell them the best ways to do that? Sure. Um, I love Instagram. So um, at the memory circle on Instagram and the memory circle.com and the memory circle on a private Instagram on a, I'm sorry, a private Facebook group, um, which is growing a beautiful community. Um, and it, all of it is the memory circle, which as I said, has been magical because it's no, it's, it's just, I'm the same everywhere. That is it beautiful. And it, it is amazing. It is amazing that it was available. And I do believe, I'm sorry, you don't have to have it be part of your story, but I'm telling the story that your, your mother whispered into your ear, just like my brother whispered into my ear is what it feels like to me when you tell that. Oh, I have to uh, believe. I have to believe. And she was also for a long time a copywriter. So I feel like, yeah, if the pen was being pushed across the paper that easily and it was all available, then it was, it was definitely meant, meant to be. Oh, beautiful. Well, I can't even tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. And I am um, very open to continuing it at a later time. So um, I would love you to let me know. We should co- yeah, we should collaborate. We should um, definitely do an event together. I would love for you to join the circle. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. Well, thank you so much for being here. And um, I'm wishing you all the best. And I can't wait to see how this journey of the grief circle or the memory circle continues to unfold. Ms. Chief Grief Officer yourself. Thank you very much. (laughs) Self-proclaimed. Yes, you take good care. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.